Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for subscribing to the Front Row Knowles podcast. Tom Block with you, and we're glad you followed us over to Real Talk 93.3 and continue to listen to the podcast. Just want to mention a shout out to Seminole Boosters. They continue to support the program. Two things here. First of all, there are still tickets left for FSU Notre Dame. So if you don't have yours yet, go to Seminoles.com slash tickets, pick up some tickets. We want to make sure that we got a packed house for that opener on Labor Day weekend against Notre Dame. And secondly, if you're not a member of Seminole Boosters, I encourage you to help make a strong brand even stronger. Supporters can help FSU's teams win by providing the tools needed to be successful. And you can join for as little as $70 per year. Just go to SeminoleBoosters.com to learn more. That said, Enjoy this week's Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Good day, everybody. Tom and Keith back with you. This is Front Row Knowles. Keith, we are closer still to college football. And, oh, we thought we were so close to actually having the ACC network. But lo and behold, false alarm. We have it. We don't have it. Wait a minute. It's still on. Wait a minute. They took it off. I was absolutely – I started getting stuff, whatever that time it was, that particular afternoon, evening, with people saying, hey, it's on the it's on Xfinity, which is part of Comcast. And I'm going – thought to myself, how in the world could that be, i.e. somebody would have made an announcement about it, but there it was, and then technical glitch, we take it off 12, 24 hours later, whatever the time frame was. I'm impressed that you actually saw it, you, because you're not on social media where it blew up in a hurry, yet you knew, you were just, were you, were you taking your afternoon nap, and you fell asleep with the remote in your hand, and it, and lo and behold, it woke up, you know, you woke up and you're on the SEC alternate channel and it was showing the ACC. No, 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 no. Mr. Block, let's remember, I, I have Dish Network, so I've had the ACC network oh, the entire okay. time. No, I started getting the old-fashioned DMs. I started getting text messages from people that I know. I was not on Twitter, uh, but I have found that right behind Twitter is DM in terms of if there's really something important. Evidently, a lot of people want a lot of people to know about it. Well, I'm impressed, Keith. Uh, Two things here. One, after copious amount of behind-the-scenes research and fact-checking and translation, brief conversations, I've been made uh, aware or so advised that something similar happened. I think it was when the SEC network launched, but it might have been the launch of another network, i.e., it was a legitimate test to make sure that the signal was being distributed to all the Comcast affiliates, and then they pulled it back. And while I don't necessarily want to use the word imminent because imminent might imply that it could happen while I'm finishing this sentence or while we're finishing this show, I do think that we're pretty close. And maybe in the next few weeks, we will have an announcement that the ACC does officially have a deal with Comcast Xfinity. So that's good. I was not aware of said test on some other unnamed network. So you have appropriately done your research or somebody shared it with you. Uh, so yes, having heard that for the first time, I too would be inclined to believe that something is imminent, uh, whatever imminent means in whatever framework we're talking about. Well, we've talked about it for years, Keith. I'll say it again. September 30th is when Comcast's contract to carry ESPN, ESPN2, SEC Network, Disney Channel, ESPN News, whatever else is Disney property 
comes to an end. So if Comcast wants to keep its 21 million customers happy who are interested in those channels, they're going to take the ACC network at that point. So we're, we're not far away, big picture. I also, and we talked a little bit with David Teal in recent weeks about potential dollars. We won't really know until a couple of years from now when we look at the tax returns and we go, oh, well, the dollars jumped X amount from this FY to that FY. So that must have been the Comcast deal. But I'm told that it could mean six to 10 million more per school in the ACC. So not insignificant and really right in line with what you and I have projected all along, that would take the ACC to 40 to 43 million, somewhere in there per school, which is about what the SEC gets now, except that the SEC is then going to bump up again in a couple of years with their new contract and then bump up again with Oklahoma and Texas when they join. And I don't know what other moves the ACC has. We've been down this road, but nevertheless, six to 10 million is not something to sneeze at if you're FSU or an ACC school. The only disappointment in that is there had been conversations that by adding Comcast, you'd get a dollar per subscriber, 20 million subscribers would be $20 million a month, which would be $240 million a year. But the closer reality, I think, is something around $100, $110 million a year in total, and then getting down to that between 6 and $10 million for each participating institution. Somewhere right. in between, probably towards the lower end, is reality. So the other big news of the day, Keith, is that we have this alliance from the ACC and the Big Ten and the Pac-12, which I'm not really sure what it means other than what we mentioned on previous shows, which is they're going to try to align to vote together on some things, maybe do some scheduling things. Did you take anything else out of what came out of that Tuesday announcement? Uh, The only thing I took out of it is uh, reverse order. It would mean some scheduling and block voting as opposed to what you said and the way you said it. But only those two items jumped out at me. Yes. The other thing that jumped out, and I work at the university, it's great that Florida State's trajectory has been on the rise. The university is moving up in the rankings. But when you put out an athletics release and it touts how many AAU schools you have and how many are ranked in the top 30 of the U.S. News and World Report and research alliances, Nobody cares. They want to know about the TV dollars. That's the reality on this. How much well, are we going to move the decimal point? What, what that does confirm, however, is that the presidents and or the chancellors or maybe even the provost were involved in the discussion and not just the athletic directors, because that's how all that got in there. Good point. We will talk football and not just this behind the scenes stuff. Matter of fact, defensive coordinator for Florida State, Adam Fuller, is going to join us coming up a little bit later on. Then Bob Ferrante, FSU has been through two scrimmages, so we'll have all the latest from the practice fields there. I guess the other news of note, Keith, as we wrap up this first segment, and maybe we can dive deeper in the last segment, is the medical advisory group for the ACC issued the updated MAG report or MAG guidelines, MAG medical advisory group last week, as it relates to COVID. And really, they stripped out most of the meat from a year ago. And the focus has been on schools getting to the 85% vaccination rate. And Florida State is close. They're not there yet. But that was the big story. And actually, I think it was last Wednesday or Thursday when they released that report. The big thing for me, obviously, yes, is the 85% vaccination rate. But if you're below that, it's going to continue to be expensive. I mean, there's not just a safety factor as much. Uh, obviously, the first go round, it was all about safety, but there's now a dollars thing because you can discontinue some of the tracing and discontinue some of the testing uh, if you get above that 85% threshold. So 
I'm not suggesting that becomes the reason anyone or any group does it, but there's certainly another component to it that maybe didn't exist this time last year. We'll get into that later in the show. We'll take a break right now, come back and talk to Florida State's defensive coordinator, Adam Fuller. We are just getting cranked up. Stay with us. This is Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and Keith with you. I'm pleased to be joined by defensive coordinator Adam Fuller from Florida State, and he joins us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring our future together. Coach, how are you, sir? I'm great. How are you guys? We're good. I guess as a starting point, halfway through camp or through the month of August, roughly halfway through, how much better do you feel about what you're looking at on a daily basis right now than, say, a year ago at this time? Well, I, I think I've got a better sense of, or we've got a better sense of where we're at. <clears throat> I think we've got players in the right positions, number one. Um, I feel good about that. I feel good about locking in a roles um, at all 11 positions and, you know, just the versatility in the backup roles. So just have a better sense of, of, of the group as, as a whole and um, just excited to move forward as we get into the game week mode. Coach, a lot of folks in the media have made a big deal out of the uh, 4-2-5. As an old-school guy, my simple question, is that really new? Didn't you guys run that a lot as dictated by offenses, or isn't that kind of the new base defense? Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, I can remember, you know, years ago, you know, it was our base defense at another school I was at. And, you know, you're always trying to, number one, put your best players in the field. And then two or one A trying to defend what people are doing. Um, you, you hope those things align in a way, right? And back in the old school, it was a three-four team, and you just these offenses have been putting three wide receivers on the field for years now, and you, you need to be able to match up. You know, if you don't have enough DBs out there, it, it's just hard to do a lot of things because it limits you coverage-wise because you you only have a certain amount of guys that can match up with people. So, you know, we. We tried to do a good amount last year. Just, you know, we had what we had, and we were just trying to glue it together. Um, but we've, we've been able to go out and bring some guys in and, and, and develop the guys who are here so that, you know, we've got some depth now that, at DB, so we feel like we can play more of that. Um, now, there is some 4-3 stuff that's still in there. Um, but, you know, in a, in a perfect world, when people are putting three or four wide receivers on the field, you need a minimum of five DBs out there. In order to play good, sound defense, you know. Coach, at this point, who has or who have emerged as your real defensive leaders across all the segment groups? Yeah, well, I think leadership is something that, you know, as you say, leaders, you know, I know good players right now. You know, I mean, up front, you know, I think Fabian Lovett has played really consistent football. Um, I think he's, he's in the best shape of his life right now, and you're seeing that. Um, he's, he's got more ability to, in more range to make more plays. Uh, Dennis Briggs has been somebody that, you know, I've been excited about now since we got him back last year, but his development as a, as a defensive tackle has definitely gone on the uptick. 
Um, Jermaine Johnson's been a really good addition. You know, he's given us physicality um, and, and some effort presence on the edge. Um, you know, we're looking for big things out of Keir Thomas as well, just from a from a toughness, from a leadership, from a from a physicality standpoint. Um, Robert Cooper, somebody that played up front for us last year, he's got to continue to come on and play with consistent energy and effort. Um, so up front, that's been the crew. You know, at linebacker, Kalen Deloche was somebody that plays. He was very up and down last year, but he's been probably our most consistent playmaker at linebacker through camp. Um, you know, Amari Gaynor and DJ Lundy um, are kind of next in that line as far as just the ability to make plays and we're trying to get those guys to do what they do best the most um, right now at linebacker. You know, and Steven Dix has obviously had a lot of reps for us and we continue to bring him along. Um, so that's been at linebacker. DB, <clears throat> you know, we've at corner, which is critical for us, you know, Jarvis Brownlee, um, Travis J, Nico Dotson has probably played the most consistent football right now. Uh, Jamie Robinson, Kevin Knowles have done a nice job at safety at corner at nickel. Um, and then the safeties right now, you know, I think Akeem Dent, you know, we, we put him back there. He showed good ability in space, uh, Brennan Gant. Um, and then we're, we're, we're starting to develop some of the younger guys too, like Jack Wes McClellan, who had just gotten here, Shaheen Brown, um, you know, or, or other names that we're working through back there right now. Adam, you guys appropriately didn't talk about it much, but in retrospect, when you look back at the entire 2020 season, it's a fair statement that you had to play some kids in positions of need that aren't their really gifted places. Is that, is that a fair statement? Well, you know, and I, I, you know, listen, as we're going, we're just trying to get the right guys on the field in the right positions. And, you know, whether, you know, whether you, you knew how it would play, you didn't, I mean, we just, you know, trying to put guys in the best positions we could and with the information we had and, you know, the more games you play or the more time you spend with them, the more information you get, then you're trying to move guys, you know, in the middle of the season just because you, now you have the information. And, um, you know, it was obviously, you know, it was definitely an opportunity to learn last year uh, because of the different time restraints and availability restraints. So, you know, but everybody kind of had to go through it, you know, and um, we just had to go through it in year one. So it was a little bit, a little bit challenging with that, but, you know, definitely had to give us an opportunity to learn from and, and to grow from, and, and hopefully it makes us a better all program this year. And that and that was my point. It wasn't a critical point. It was you were doing what you had to do because there were some do- uh, holes in the in the dam, so to speak. But now that you've had a full year to do a full evaluation, I mean, this is really year one, if you think about it that way. Yeah, you know, I don't really count them. I I, I know what you're saying, but you know, we're we're really just trying to focus on the guys that we have now and making sure they're in the right spots. They're playing with good fundamentals. They understand what good defense looks like. We're challenging them every day and pushing them to be their best and just making sure we have enough scheme to be able to allow them to play fast and so the opponent plays slow. And we're trying to mix that up now. And, um, you know, I, I think this group has, has a competitive edge to them that we're continuing to try to drive. At the end of the day, it's, it's that drive to be better every single day. And usually you put days on top of each other with that mindset and usually you get better. You get better at a higher rate. And that's our job to do right now. Coach Woodson mentioned last week something called an S2 test. And he was speaking to Akeem Dent and what you guys were able to discern from that and his move back to safety. 
So I'm interested in your comments on what you did see from that. But more than that, from a broad picture, we've heard about this wonderlick that the NFL uses forever, but it feels like this S2 cognition test is where everybody's going. Can you enlighten our listeners a little bit about what that entails? Uh, and, and, and then yeah, what, well, yeah, go yeah. Ahead. yeah, I mean, there's, listen, there's a lot of things I, I've, I've said for years. I think everything we do is connected to their success or their failure. And whether it's, you know, I don't want to minimize, you know, S2 score or the weight room or academics, you know, or nutrition, like, it's all part of the big circle that completes it for these guys' growth. You know, it just, that happens to be another tool, right? So, you know, a couple of years ago, the, the virtual reality stuff came out to help teach guys that maybe they learn better in a virtual room. You know, um, there's been new weight room techniques that Coach Storms has found to try and help these guys. You know, Josh down the training room has found different techniques to come back quicker from a turco or whatever that is. You know, Marissa with nutrition. You know, S2 is just another way to evaluate to help us learn more about each player. Um, it's our job to grab all the information from all of these other areas. Uh, for years, I've always, we've sat down with academic coordinators and, you know, as they develop learning styles for each individual player, you've tried to address how to teach them better. And I think S2 is just another way to evaluate more specific into the, you know, not how they learn, but how they take data and how quickly they can process it. And then they fit them into different categories, you know, for, you know, and some of it's even like depth perception of, you know, visual uh, versus physical. And, you know, so it's a tool um, that, that we're using here at Florida state. And, you know, some of it, we use the information to move guys positions. Some of it, we use it to get more creative in how we teach or the drills that we do. Um, And so it just, is able to allow us to have the right conversations and ask the right questions to the players so that they're aware of things they need to fix or improve upon or learn from that they may be deficient and not even know. Um, so, you know, that, that gives you hopefully a little bit of insight into what goes into us trying to work with the guys and, and, and using maybe even something specific like the S2. Well, the bottom line is Tommy and I want one of those cool mattresses, Adam. That's, what, that's all we care about. What are you talking about? What cool mattress? Was they, it in uh, Jacksonville? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you had to have gone to Jacksonville and gone through camp to use them, guys. That <laughs> dummit. What last week? <laughs> it's always next year. Wait, we've only I, got I've a got minute. Air mattress. You guys come. You guys come use the air mattress in my office. It's really nice. <laughs> <laughs> have we reached the part of preseason camp where you're having to sleep on an air mattress already? No, I'm done with that. It can't be. Camp's over. Coach, uh, thirty final thirty seconds or so. What what do you need to see from your defense here between now and when you kick off against Notre Dame? Uh, just you know, we we've got a lot of our installs on. So every day you're putting in more concepts and calls. You know, the challenge to them this morning was for the next three days as we transition a little bit of Notre Dame focus. We're still at that 75% mark where it's still good on good. It's still us getting better at the fundamentals and the understanding of the concepts that we're doing. And so the, the aim and the objective for the, these next two, three days were like, I want to see our understanding um, of the specifics of each call and the understanding of the leverages and just playing good, clean football with great communication, you know, and, we got a really good rep in the red zone today where, you know, there was a bunch of moving parts 
on the offense and we were able to communicate it out. A bunch of guys had to get to different spots and, and get things executed. And that's the stuff you get excited about because you can tell that they've got a good understanding about that. But now it's about just doing that again and again and again because football is about repetition. That's why we have five days to get ready for one game. And um, so before we get into full-on game mode, it's just the understanding of the fundamentals, the the, the small details of the call to really dig in. Cause that's when you know you're, you're playing good defense when, you know, it's not about this call is this, this call is that, but now you can really coach the specifics of how the offense is attacking it. So we can react faster um, and then, and play with more anticipation. And that's where we're at right now. Coach Adam Fuller, defensive coordinator at FSU. Thanks for joining us. Front row Knowles continues in a moment. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Thanks to Adam Fuller joining us last segment. Thanks to you for tuning in and finding us here on Real Talk 93.3. We're going to reopen that Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Say hello to our good friend, Bob Ferrante from the Osceola. Bob, how are you, sir? Doing well. How are you guys? We're well. We're a week and a half away from playing some football. Notre Dame opener. Tickets still available. I'll remind our uh, listeners, if you don't have yours yet, go ahead and secure them. Let's start there, Bob. It's been a while since we've seen an electric atmosphere at the stadium for an FSU game. And I don't know that it's going to get to be a sellout, but it's still going to be a better representation than what we've seen in some time. So that that part should be fun. It, it feels like it has that buildup throughout the offseason, the excitement, the curiosity. I think we're all kind of wondering how various position groups and players are going to look. I, I think there's that kind of excitement that, it's not maybe similar to 2011 with Oklahoma or 2014 with Notre Dame, but this feels like a truly big, you know, season opening home game for Florida state and the, and the fans to to come back. Some of them for the first time since 2019. Yeah. That's not necessarily. They're excited about what the prospects for the season are. They're just excited to finally be back outdoors somewhere as a group. <laughs> Where's the tailgate, right? Yep. It, remi- it reminds me of the Virginia Tech opener, uh, honestly, which was a Monday night, kind of you're one of the only games out there. This is Sunday night, so you are the only game out there. Hopefully a better result. Uh, and obviously it's not Coach Norvell's first game since he coached last year. Um, speaking of Coach Norvell, you know, we talk, we've spent all fall trying to say, okay, who's the starting quarterback? Who's starting at this position? Not that we haven't seen Norvell on the sideline, but as you've observed practice here, what have you seen from he and his staff in terms of, of how they coach and teach day to day? I think that's been one of the neat things for this, you know, two weeks of camp or two plus weeks now is, is we've had the opportunity that, that Coach Norvell has opened up practices to us uh, with the exception of the two scrimmages. And you know, we've been able to watch some of these periods on the field, a lot of them, you know, from the concourse to the baseball stadium and, and just kind of get a nice bird's eye view of, really this staff and how much they love to teach. It's, it's really a teaching staff. It's evident just in how they go about everything. I would say nearly every five minute period is very efficient, uh, fast moving the, the tempo. There's, there's not a lot of sitting around, uh, not, not a lot of downtime. And there are downtime for breaks, nutrition and hydration. Of course it's, it's August, 
but this coaching staff is really bringing energy, very engaged. Um, I, I think they're, they're trying to be leaders or trying to find leaders. They're coaching guys. It's not quick little reminders. It's, it's extended conversations that we're seeing at times, I think are really neat. You know, coach Norvell, if he pulls a player aside, it, it's not a five second and, and the player runs down the sideline to get ready for the next play. It, it can be 30 seconds, 45 seconds. It can be an extended teaching moment, an opportunity for, for Norvell to really connect with a player. You know, you hear his voice, you hear, you hear Kenny Dillingham's voice, John Papuchas, uh, his voice too on special teams, huge special teams emphasis out of this coaching staff, more than we've seen on, on past staff. So yeah, I, I think you're kind of seeing that, that really hands-on nature of these guys, and you have to hope it pays off on the football field too. The two things we've been uh, learning, or excuse me, uh, wanting, uh, or, you know, didn't see is player development. And obviously shorthanded last year with the amount of time they could spend. Um, I mean, this is really, we mentioned a little bit of this with, with Coach Fuller, and he wasn't, he wasn't biting my, my comment. He wasn't having any excuses. He wasn't going to make up any excuses. But this is really the first season that Norvell's been able to do what he wants to do. I agree. I agree. You have to almost put an asterisk by last year. It happened. We all saw it. Um, but it was a COVID year. There's no strength and conditioning. Lots of challenges. But this year is is really their chance to set the tone for the entire program for years and years moving forward. I think it's a good opportunity. They're they're doing the best they can with it. Um, sorry, I'm, my voice is uh, at a breaking point here. But guys, I think I think what we're going to see is a more organized team. I think a team that kind of knows what it's supposed to do as far as alignment. Um, we have seen some pre-snap issues and penalties, but I think there's just a better awareness as far as year two guys are more comfortable in what they're doing. So I think those are things that are real positives. Players know what's, what's expected of them. They know what the standard is. And, and those are positives. I know I've been in the camp. I think we all have been that Mackenzie Milton was going to be the starting QB and, Coach Norville. Matter of fact, Monday night at his first call-in show of the year, before the call-in show, he was taught it was a it was a party for for sponsors of the radio network with Learfield. He said, I'll tell you what, I know everybody wants to know who the starting quarterback's going to be. So I'm just going to go ahead and announce that right now. And then he paused and he said, No, I'm going to I'm going to hold that. I'm going to keep that pretty close to the vest for a while. So we all know that he's not going to let the cat out of the bag. But my question to you is I, I've Seen with my own eyes, I've heard a lot of others make comments that Jordan Travis has really taken a step forward. Have you seen that? Yeah, I think with Jordan, it's the, the bonus is not necessarily weight gain because if you look at where he's listed on the roster, it's not that. It's to me, it's more mechanics, um, strength and conditioning. His arm strength is noticeably better. His, his downfield passing, I know a lot of people will say, well, it wasn't really evident all that often last year. It's really evident this year. Um, he's very accurate. I think on the downfield passes, connecting as, as best he can with these receivers, and, and they're they're trying to work on that chemistry. We're seeing some guys that just, you know, they are missing that that kind of rhythm in the in the long passing game. But I think Jordan has been has been really good as far as um, taking guys under his wing, working with receivers, tight ends. Um, it, it's definitely an improved quarterback. If you're just saying from December of 2020 to now, it's definitely an improved quarterback. I think uh, those that I have talked to and, and you can echo or disagree still say that 
you know, improvement needed on the offensive line, but progress has been made, maybe not as much as needed, but there has been uh, an upward trajectory there. Yeah, I agree. I, I think I, I'm a buyer in terms of this team can run. This team has run blockers and with a mobile quarterback, you've got advantages. Like, and Jordan Travis gives you that question is how do you pass protect? I think your, your best option and, and what we've seen in a lot of scenarios is you've got Maurice Smith at center. You've got the two transfer guards on the inside in, in Love Taylor and uh, Dylan Gibbons. You're strong on the inside and developing tackles on the outside. You're going to have to use a, a tight end like Jordan Wilson or, um, or a Jason Corbin or running back to kind of chip and, and to buy some time on those outside pass rushers. You're going to have to do a few things similar to mass protection, similar to just kind of using the sum of your parts so you can buy a little extra time. You just got to kind of got to be creative, honestly. I, I do think this offensive line is better, though, in year two for, for Coach Atkins. Well, and you just mentioned Jordan Travis is better. So even if it's, if it's Jordan, it's a step forward there. I've, there's been a lot of positivity about the running backs, particularly Jay Sean Corbin, who got singled out by the coaches after the first scrimmage. And remember that when he got to FSU, he was coming off an injury too. Keyshawn Helton looks, looks quicker. I mean, is it fair to say every segment group tight ends got Jordan Wilson back is at least marginally better or somewhat better than a year ago, or do we need to see Saturdays first? I, I would say on paper, the answer is Yes. Um, especially with the offensive line and defensive line, we won't know until September 5th. But I think we're seeing guys, like you said, recovering from injuries. There's more depth at receiver. There's, uh, there's more talent developing at, at tight end. Um, defensive front, I feel like depth is there. Linebacker, depth is there. Cortez Andrews from Godby, another talent to watch, I think. A guy's walking on, but um, I think he's a guy who can play too. Yeah. It's Bob so is- good, Tom. It's so good that Bob is breaking up. I mean, he's he is in tears of joy talking about the improvement of this club. Uh, it's like he's the one out there screaming at the players all day. He's lost his voice here midway through camp. I feel like doing him. I, I feel like I've, uh, yeah, I feel like I, I don't know what it is. It's, but I'm, I'm excited for football. Maybe it's that too, football fever. <laughs> what about the thing nobody wants to talk about, Bob? Special teams. And when I say that, When you say special teams could be a strength, I think people immediately go to, well, that must mean the offense and defense aren't very good if that's where we're going. So that aside, and we'll see what happens with the offense and defense. Might it be a strength? Uh, Is there a reason to – I do think that that John Papuchas does a really good job with the segment, and I think the return game is going to be improved. Uh, I don't know that I'm going to have confidence in the place kicking until I see it on Saturday, but what have you seen? Punting has been really consistent. Kicking has been really consistent. They spend a ton of time on returns and coverages. I think they know special teams can win them games. If you've got to win at least two phases, you've got to win special teams to make it happen. I think they know what they can do. That's a difference-making opportunity for them on special teams, for sure. So are you ready for a prediction time yet, or, or no? We're going to wait another no, he's week? No, he saves that for next week, Tommy. Okay. Don't get ahead of the script. Okay. Hey, soccer team, I'll switch anything else on football, Keith? I'll switch real quick. No, soccer, soccer's off to off to get out of gates. Yeah, soccer's two and zero already. Looks 
when you return 10 of 11 starters from a team that should have won the national title last year, it looks like they're every bit as good this year through a very small sample size. What do you think? I think they're ready to take the SEC title so far. I mean, if they knock off Florida, it's, it's all over. They're, they're off to a great start. And, um, you know, this is a typical Krikorian team. Lots of veterans and newcomers. Fun to watch them play. I think, you know, we'll, we'll see how the season plays out, but they're playing like the number one team in the nation. Volleyball is picked fifth in the ACC. They've, they've always been in contention and, and into the postseason generally under Chris Poole. Any, any nuggets on that team? They start play soon. I think Coach Poole knows this is sort of a rebuilding team. He's, he's got a couple of returning pieces, but it, it's a it's a group that's loaded with freshmen. Um, those freshmen didn't get to play in the spring, so he's kind of got to see how the pieces fit together this fall. Gotcha. All right. He is Bob Ferranti. He is our Osceola insider. Bob, we'll let you go uh, get some throat lozenges there. Tea, hot tea, perhaps. Uh, we can get our good friend Gene Deckerhoff on the line to help you with that voice if need be. I'm going to work on some cough drops. Uh, I think that's the uh, the radio man's best friend. <laughs> Our Osceola Insider, I'll remind you folks to uh, go ahead and log on to the Osceola. You can get a monthly membership for just $6.95 a month or $74.95 a year. Appreciate it, sir. Take care. Thanks, Bob. We'll catch up again next week. Still one more segment to go. Stay with us here on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. And by the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Now back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ, as we wrap things up. Keith, Bob, he almost needs to go on the shelf for a little bit. What do you think? Uh, he's certainly struggling through camp, so maybe he needs, what, what do they call them, Not rest days? What's the term they use now? Oh, well, they're managing workload. He needs to manage Managing workload. workload. He needs yes. to manage his workload a little bit. We'll relay that message to Jerry on his behalf. Appreciate him joining us, as always. A uh, few minutes to clean things up. Anything resonate from what uh, Coach Fuller shared, first of all? Keith? Well, I, you know, I think the, the, you know, I, I think he balked at my question about last year being a do-over and, and I understand that coaches should do that, but I think if he would be brutally honest and I think if Mike would be brutally honest, they were so handicapped with what they had to do last year, both in terms of evaluating and, and putting people in the right place, having time to coach them. And then we forget about the fact that at least on the defensive side, uh, in, in terms of Coach Fuller, they had some injuries. I mean, you know, th- they had to have a keen bent at a, at a cornerback. They didn't have enough bodies. Uh, they had to play, you know, some of the outside linebackers inside and some of the inside linebackers outside, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So now they've had a spring, uh, first of all, the, the, the winter workouts and a full spring, and then whatever tools they have available to use, extra tools, and a, and a full camp at least by all accounts. Uh, I know there's been some kids that have been held out for uh, contact tracing and some other COVID-related stuff that appropriately the, the program hasn't talked about. But they certainly have had more access and ability to work with the kids and evaluate this year than last year. And that was the reason for my suggestion that this is kind of the first year. But, you know, coaches don't ever want to make excuses. So he wasn't buying into it. And I understand that. Let's go back to the what we touched on at the end of the first segment, Keith, because we didn't have 
any chance to flush it out. But you made the point as it relates to the COVID testing protocol, or not the testing protocols. Well, yes, the testing protocols, but the ones that are required based on where your vaccination rate is. And, and simply put, once you get to 85% uh, of the team, then anybody unvaccinated only needs to be tested once a week instead of three times per week. Correct. So that right there means that your expense for testing is getting cut by two thirds, and that's not insignificant for FSU or any other school. And that's and, without, go ahead. And if you're, evac- if you're vaccinated, you don't have to quarantine if you're exposed. If you're unvaccinated and you have contact, you've got to quarantine for a period of time. Here. Um, so, so there's a lot of things there, money included, but a lot of other things uh, that that 85% will do for you. Well, and there's a lot of concern that I've seen. Nobody wants to obviously to have a forfeit. So you want to see Florida State get to that 85% rate, which I'm told that they will, they will get there. They, they, they're on track, uh, may not be for Notre Dame, but they're going to get to the 85% mark. Um, here's the thing I was going to say that's different from last year, Keith. Last year, there were strict guidelines in place that dictated whether you could play a game or not. In other words, you had to have seven offensive linemen available and you had to have X amount of quarterbacks and X amount of receivers. All that has gone by the wayside. It's now up to an individual school to determine that we don't have enough guys to play or we do. Now, I'm not suggesting that a coach would go into a game with only five offensive linemen available. But if you only had three receivers and the rest of the team was good, i.e. COVID made its way through the receiving segment room, you could still play the game and just be heavy on the run. I mean, the, the, the ball is not in the ACC's court on this now. It's on the individual schools to make that determination. Agreed. And, um, you know, I'm sure there'll be some fallout. There'll be a, a situation or two that gets second-guessed. But, you know, last year there were 20 and 30 situations that got guessed. And therefore, uh, again, repeating, getting to that 85% threshold, you know, you can't, you can't make kids do things, but you can make kids do things if you follow my train of thought there. I mean, th- there's just got to be a push to get that done. And as you say, I have not heard, but evidently you have, that all, all signs point to there. You don't get there, and, and you've got way more problems than your opponents that do. Going back to the other thing we talked about up top, this alliance from Big Ten, Pac-12, ACC, it's what we thought it was. I don't see a lot of meat there. One of the commissioners actually commented yesterday that revenue was not the driving force. I thought revenue was the driving force in everything college athletics did, Keith. Uh, Well, it it is on everything of importance, so maybe this isn't as important as it's being made to be. (laughs) Oh, no, it's the driving force on everything that involves revenue, so that's my point. Right now, I don't think there's revenue involved in this per se. Um, it did strike me as odd that there's no written agreement. There's no signed agreement, uh, which is sort of like they're flirting with each other, but they're not going to put a ring on the finger, which leads me to believe that, you know, this is a good arrangement for the three conferences until one of us finds a better arrangement. And then that's the arrangement we're going to proceed with. Or until one of them doesn't like what the rest of them are doing, because you went out with Sally on the night you were supposed to go out with Susie or vice versa. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just, I mean, I don't, I don't blame them. I think it's good to look at this. I do think it's more about voting for the Big Ten. To the question, why would the Big Ten need the Pac-12 and ACC? Because we forget the Big Ten is still getting more money than the SEC and probably will be in the long run because they're about to redo their contract. The answer to this is the Big Ten wants to protect the Rose Bowl. The Rose and Bowl, so, exactly. And they've, they've, now they've got on top of the Big Ten and the Pac-12 to vote in favor of making that a quarterfinal game. They've got the ACC aligned to vote in favor of it. 
And the ACC, in turn, will get those two leagues to vote in favor of keeping the Orange Bowl for an ACC school and, and making that a quarterfinal. So, I mean, that, that's what it comes down to at the end of the day, as best I can tell. And the scheduling part, simply because of the way, nature of the way these contracts are, even if they were absolutely in total agreement that they wanted to implement scheduling, they can't do that for five or seven or, in some cases, ten years out. Because, you know, a school's not going to add another big-name opponent uh, when they've already got 10 of them between conference and rivalry games already under contract. They're not going to go to 11. And um, so it'll be a while before those other contracts are fulfilled and there's openings to do something from a scheduling standpoint on the football side. Now, on basketball, that may be a little quicker. Yeah, basketball, they could maybe be a little bit more nimble there. But basketball, as we know, I mean, if you look at the TV contracts, it's maybe 15% of the dollars associated with the TV contracts, and 85% is football. So, I mean, you could add Duke, UCLA, and, you know, FSU against the power in the Big Ten, whoever you want to pick. It's it's not going to move the needle enough. Not enough. You're correct. All right. Well, someday when we're in charge, Keith, we'll solve these problems. I don't have the well, answer. We've, at, at we've the established moment. that with our listeners. They are well aware of the fact that uh, we are tr- certainly capable of being kings of college athletics. Just give us the opportunity. Thank you to Adam Fuller for uh, joining us today for a few minutes. We appreciate Bob Ferrante from the Osceola, and we appreciate you as well. If you haven't done so, subscribe to our podcast. We're on all the platforms uh, now, and join us each and every Wednesday right here on uh, Real Talk 93.3 from 12 to 1. Keith, I've got nothing else to add. Do you, sir? I be done. Keith's done. We're done. We'll talk to you again next week. And guess what, folks? Next week is actually a game week as we count down to Florida. No, not quite. Almost. But we're closer, right, Keith? Yes, yes, yes. I jumped. I jumped by a week. Anyway, we're getting closer. Talk to you next week on Front Row Knowles.